Hi, I'm Rolf Klesen. I'm partner with Freischmann Partner. And I'm Ken Suzanne, attorney at Barnes and Thornburg. And you're listening to IP Fridays. Hello and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from, in-house or private practice, novice or expert. We will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools, and much more. Welcome to episode 70 of IP Fridays. In our first episode in 2017, Ken and me, we want to just chat and talk about what we are interested in our work and what we want to focus in in 2017. So Ken, thank you for being on the show with me. Well, hello, Ralph. It's great to be with you. I know we're always uh, you know, interviewing other people, so this is a real treat uh, to talk to each other and, and talk about what we're doing as we head into the new year. Right. So we had a former uh, episode, like in, in I think I think it was around twenty or something, where we talked about uh, like how we became IP lawyers and how we got yeah. into this field and how we started the podcast and so on. And today we just want to talk about what we are currently doing and what we are interested in. Right. Yeah, I think that yeah. would be a great thing to do and, and helpful for our listeners, too. I know back at the International Trademark Association annual meeting in Orlando, uh, numerous uh, uh, fans of the podcast came to our meetup and said how they enjoyed that episode. So I hope that this episode will be as enjoyable for them as well. Uh, Ken, so both of us are really active on social media and um, you uh, actually just recently read an interesting article in National Law Review about social media statistics. Uh, can you tell me more? Yes, that's that's right, Rolf. There's an article that was published uh, in the middle of last month, December 2016, uh, in the National Law Review, and we will put a, a link to the article in our show notes. I thought it was really helpful because what, what they've put what they've done is they've put together an infographic, which is quite comprehensive on 2016 social media facts and figures. That's how they're headlining this particular uh, infographic. And it's really interesting if you get a chance to take a look at it, um, because it really puts into perspective how important social media is uh, for brands and really drills down into monetary issues uh, talks about uh, the best times to post on the various social media platforms. And this can be helpful for attorneys as well as companies uh, when they're thinking about, uh, you know, when should we put things up on, on the internet? Which social media platforms are best to use? Um, they also have a good uh, um, introspective into the daily login statistics and also talk about the demographics uh, for each of the social media platforms. Just to give you an idea, of, um, one of the first uh, portions of the infographic uh, breaks down, as of last month, the most popular platforms by the number of users. Um, they're estimating on Facebook 1.59 billion users, which is incredible. After that, Instagram at 400 million, 320 million on Twitter – 100 million on 
on LinkedIn and last Pinterest with a hundred million as well. So that's really interesting. Facebook leading the pack. Um, another uh, interesting thing uh, on this um, on this infographic uh, is uh, uh, which social media platform provides the best ROI or return on investment. And like we talked about earlier, Facebook uh, comes in at 95.8%. I guess with all the number of, of users Rolf on there, um, that's that lends to the ROI number at 95.8. Um, the one that I kind of like here is this uh, best times to post on social media. And, you know, they're saying, and this would be at the time, at a particular time, uh, I guess at which the social, this particular infographic applies to, but between the on Facebook, for example, between one o'clock and four o'clock on Wednesday, they're saying <laughs> is a really really good time. They also are talking about the weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, which makes sense uh, because people have more time to look on social media, and so you might make sense to to load up various. Um, you know, things into, into, uh, you know, software and then have your messages go out over the weekend. Um, for example, but then on Twitter, they're saying Monday and Tuesday from 12 noon to three is the top time to do Twitter. And then back on Wednesday from five to 6 p.m. So this is kind of interesting to look at. They also talk about the most popular brands and celebrities on social media. On Facebook, uh, leading, uh, the pack is Coca Cola. Uh, after that, we also have, uh, well, actually leading it would be, uh, uh, Chris, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. He comes in <laughs> the first, then Coca-Cola, then FC Barcelona, and then Disneyland. Uh, so that's interesting there. And then on Twitter, uh, uh, Katy Perry, um, Chanel, the NBA, and the Museum of Modern Art. Uh, leading the pack there. So that's interesting to look at, particularly those who are interested in trademarks. You can see some interesting statistics. Um, and we'll put a link to this article uh, that appeared in the National Law Review uh, online. So, Rolf, you're also active in social media. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing uh, in that space. Yeah, I really try to uh, find out more about new uh, social media networks that I can use for my business. And uh, last year, um, in actually in October 2015, I started YouTube. So I started putting up videos, uh, like weekly videos on YouTube. And uh, first of all, this is really time consuming <laughs> to produce these videos, but yes. uh, I had a steep learning curve. So uh, now it's okay. I record like I'm batch recording like eight videos in like two hours and then editing them and so on. So it's okay now. Um, but this really had a big impact on my business, I must say. So um I'm uploading a video weekly and the video is usually in English or German. So some, some are in English, some are in German. And they are usually between like two minutes and 10 minutes, uh, an average maybe like four or five minutes. And I'm just um, recording videos about very simple topics. You know, what is a patent? What is a trademark? Or more complicated uh, issues like how to prepare um, against a patent litigation infringement lawsuit in Germany or something. 
uh, have videos about that or uh, like a seizure of um, counterfeit goods in Europe or something like that for more advanced users or listeners. Um, but that seems to have a really big impact on my business. I get a lot of um, interested people calling and sending emails uh, to represent them in like trademark cases or patent cases or so um, I'm definitely continuing with that and uh, try to I may even try to go uh, two weeks uh, uh, two two videos per week but um, Let's see how that develops. Did, so, <laughs> did you have to, Rolf, buy any special equipment to to uh, produce these videos? Um, first, I started with uh, recording the videos with my iPad and just a small clip-on microphone. Um, but now I'm using a DSLR cam camera and um, some basic lighting equipment and a very nice uh, shotgun microphone. Um, so the quality of the videos is much better now uh, compared to when I started. Mm -hmm. um, and that also makes a difference in like retention of the, of the viewers. Um, but I think most important is the content. So if the content is bad, nobody listens. And um, so, yeah, I think most important is the content. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And on YouTube, does it, is there a way for you to see where the, uh, viewers are coming from other analytics sure sure you can see whether they come from like facebook links or from related videos that are displayed or from the search for example if you search for the german word for patent attorney patent anwalt in youtube i'm the first hit now <laughs> or if you wow. search for like trademark search i should also be like the first or second hit or um because there is really no one um no patent attorneys or trademark attorneys are really active on YouTube so far. So I can oh, really yeah, dominate so far, the space. <laughs> so far. Right. Yeah. You might have a People number of listening our listeners. Now. <laughs> Some of our listeners might become competition. <laughs> right, right. And that's good. Yeah, so, so it's really exciting. Um, yeah, so, but I wanted to ask you something else. Um, yeah. You recently uh, talked about drones and uh, in one of our episodes, and uh, that's something that you are really interested in, and yet actually you work on that, right? You have a couple of clients you work uh, and uh, you work for, yes. like in the, in the drone business. Tell that's us, right. tell me more. Yeah, right. In the drone business, yeah. Well, it's drones are really fascinating to me. I mean, it goes beyond those just toys that you can buy at the toy store because companies are really beginning to use them um, in their businesses. And uh, over the summer, um, the new regulations came out here in the United States known as uh, Part 107, uh, which before you had to fi file for what's called an exemption, a Section 333 exemption. Uh, but that got uh, changed. Now you have to – now certain things are permitted. You can do certain things. But if, if you want to go and derogate from, from the standing rule, then you have to submit what's called a Part 107 waiver or an airspace authorization request. And that all could be done online. There's a portal. Uh, if you go to the uh, FAA website, um, you can find the portal to submit these waiver requests and airspace authorization requests. But what's interesting is that, you know, lots of companies are now beginning to file these because they're finding that, you know, 
drone using drones in their businesses will help cut down on costs will help in safety. There may be situations where you don't want to put a, a person up, uh, for example, on top of a, a smokestack or some other high structure, and a drone would help in safety and also help in cost. And so um, there is a system right now where you have to go and tell the FAA how you, you will be able to conduct your operations safely if you need a particular waiver from one of the rules, for example, if you want to fly at night, you have to you have to uh, file for a, a a part 107 uh, waiver request. If you want to fly over people as part of your commercial operations, you have to ask for a waiver. Um, and so there's a number of things. If you go onto the FAA website, they'll list all the various requirements and 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 situations where you may need to get this uh, waiver. And then it's done electronically. Uh, right now, the FAA is quite backed up. So you have to wait a couple of months before you hear. Um, but it is a process. Uh, and I, f I know that as we head into this year and into the years to come, there'll be a lot of businesses that are going to be asking questions on how can I use a drone uh, in my business. And there's lots of businesses out there. There's people taking photographs and pictures of, of properties as part of their real estate practice. Uh, and so, you know, there's, I guess this is a, there's a pun, the sky's the limit, you know, uh, you know, there's really lots of things you can do with, with drones. And I'm quite excited to be part of this as we really, you know, are at the beginning of, of drones and, and using them in, in, in commercial applications. And uh, what, do you, what do you see, like what is the most common uh, type of business that is uh, enlisting your services? What, what kind of companies do you work for? Uh, there's various companies in the construction field, uh, energy, that type of thing. Those are, are important industries that I help. Uh, but there's other, you know, industries I'd like to be able to help even more. I think that, you know, use, usage of drones, um, you know, with photography is really powerful because all these, many of these drones have cameras. So the various applications that come about, for example, if you're a real estate company and you need to get drone footage uh, to put on your website to make it more attractive for people to want to visit a property and buy it, for example, I think drones can do a lot of great things. I even saw this year people as part of Christmas cards Uh, you know, having a drone fly up, up over their house and having people, you know, kind of wave and that type of thing. There's the, there's really a lot of creative things you can do with drones. It's not just a toy anymore. You know, you really can make it work for you. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I I hope we have a couple more episodes about uh, drone technology in the future. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so, Rolf. Let's talk a little bit about European uh, intellectual property issues, uh, particularly patent opposition practices before the European Patent Office. Can you give us a little idea of what you're doing with that and, and, and what's the latest news there? Yes, um, I represented now um, a decent number of cases uh, before the European Patent Office in opposition proceedings, and that's something that really that I really enjoy. You know, when um, maybe just to give you a brief overview, that's a uh, um, um, procedure where. Um, any party can oppose a um, patent that just has been granted within nine months after grant. 
and uh, that uh, opposing party can tell the European Patent Office, uh, okay, this is not new, this is uh, obvious, or um, there is an unallowable amendment in the claims, or you know some other uh, forms of attack, and. Um, this uh, opposition procedure really encompasses all these aspects of patentability um, on a different level than in typical patent prosecution. Um, because uh, when you do, when you prosecute a patent, you have the examiner on the other side, but not really an mm -hmm. interested uh, third party that uh, possibly has uh, a product that infringes your patent. And they really spend tons of money to really search literature and prior art and find really tough documents. And um, that's really an intellectual challenge, basically, uh, either to attack the patent or to defend a patent and to use all the tricks in the procedure and uh, to know all the, you know, the procedural, you know, what requests to file when and what, what, how, how you can, you know, make the other party dance around the table without achieving anything or something. And, sure. <laughs> and that's really, I enjoy that a lot. Um, and uh, so my goal in 2017 is to uh, represent a couple more cases in opposition proceedings. And uh, since I'm really interested in this, um, I actually uh, and i'm i'm a hobby programmer as you might might know i looked at yeah. about uh, 17000 opposition cases uh, through the um, uh, public uh, data um, api uh, of the european patent office so the the data um, interface basically um, and i downloaded all the officially um, publicly available data about these opposition cases, uh, more than 17,000. And I looked at the number of claims and the priority country and the country of the representative and the length of the description and the length of the claims and the readability of the claims and the description and the length of the granting procedure and more than 100 factors. And I determined all these more than 100 factors and then I looked at the result of the opposition. Um, so, for example, I found that if the, um, if the priority application comes from Japan, the patent uh, is um, upheld in about, um, no, rejected in about 32% of the cases. And if the um, priority application comes from the U.S., it's rejected in 40% of the, uh, of the <laughs> cases. So, so there is a difference um, uh, for all these factors. And I want to, my goal for 2017 is that I want to make this uh, a kind of a solution, like a database where people can put in, let's say, IBM or a company or just a patent number and then see what is the statistics or the possible outcome of an opposition against a certain European patent, um, like just from a statistics point of view or, for example, if they put in a, a company name or a representative name or an examiner name or so, what is the typical outcome of um, oppositions directed against patents that were examined by examiner XYZ or something? Um, wow. So maybe that's... That sounds like... 
Yeah, that sounds like a great resource uh, that you're developing uh, uh, for the intellectual property community. Yeah, I, I hope. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, Definitely. And... Um, Of course, that also can be used in litigation um, because um, yeah. um, from that, you, if you just put in a, a patent number, a European patent number, um, that tool might give you an idea like how easy it is to, um, to um, oppose this patent successfully or how to, how to eliminate that patent, um, mm -hmm. just from a statistical point of view, of course. Um, so you can maybe identify your chances a little better, whether you can um, be successful in canceling a patent that is maybe uh, enforced against you or a client of yours or something. And uh, especially in view of the upcoming uh, Unified Patent Court, where the patent litigation landscape in Europe is about to change dramatically, I guess, um, that might be an interesting tool to use uh, to identify patterns or your chances uh, of success um, and how to uh, when when you want to decide whether you want to attack a patent or not or something. You'll have to keep our listeners updated on the progress of this particular resource that you're developing. It sounds like you know it could be really useful. Right, right. That's my hope. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one of your resolutions, it sounds like, right? All right. <laughs> I already have an execution plan. I uh, actually yeah. already talked to a software developer or um, like a developer of online tools, and uh, they are very interested in that. And we might uh, found a company together to... Um, wow. to get this into real life. <laughs> well, think of a really good name, okay? Because we'll want to make sure we protect that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we chatted, you talked uh, with me about uh, social media monitoring by um, enforcement uh, authorities. Um, yeah. And that's something that you are currently very interested in, right? Definitely. You know, I came across also an article uh, which I thought would be very helpful to our listeners. Uh, this is an article on the website GovTech, that's G-O-V-T-E-C-H, GovTech.com. It talks about law enforcement agencies in the United States spending millions of dollars on social media monitoring software as part of their law enforcement efforts. And the Brennan Center for Justice, uh, which is Brennan Center, that's B-R-E-N-N-A-N -N -N Center, C-E-N-T-E-R dot org, um, they did a, a study uh, last year in 2016, um, which details the specific cities, counties, and law enforcement agencies over uh, all across the United States and goes into how much they're spending on social media software and which platforms they're using. So this is helpful because it shows, number one, social media is important. Number two, um, there, there's, you know, the government and police uh, agencies are using specific software packages to sleuth out and find particular people and to, you know, solve cases and to use social media in a certain way. And I thought it was helpful because it talks about the particular software packages, too, um, which I've never heard of some of these. And, and so here, here they are. I will mention them to you, and you can go and read this article for yourself. They list the following software, Geofedia, Media Sonar, SnapTrends, Data Miner, Digital Stakeout, 
Pathar, Meltwater, and Babel Street. All great trademarks, by the way. <laughs> and uh, But you can see that you know they're spending a lot of money. For example, Los Angeles County, uh, from t- 2014 to 2016, spent $137.625 uh, uh, on Geophedia, um, which allow this particular service uh, that you can get through Geophedia is you can drill down on particular geographic areas and search for tweets and other social media postings in a particular geographic area. So you could see how that could be helpful to a police department uh, if they're looking for particular information in a case. Um, so, you know, you could, I, I'm thinking, well, what about a particular brand? A brand may want to use this particular software. There may be applications in trademark counterfeiting matters, um, and in other things in the IP world. So this article is really helpful because it goes into, you know, the software, which police departments are using what, and we'll put a link to that article in the show notes. Um, but, you know, I think this year we'll, we'll continue to hear about, and see various social media platforms playing a role in social in in law enforcement and in other and in other areas uh, in our in our lives. Does it also have like a connection with uh, privacy law? Like, um, is there like are there limitations to what police can do with uh, monitoring social media? Well, yes, of course there there are going to be you know certain limitations that are under American law of what you can and cannot do with social media, but. This is a good article, at least to give you an introduction into, um, you know, the, the issue. Um, and I think it's, it's definitely something that's, you know, mind opening into the, into that area. So Ralph, you know, I thought maybe, um, one thing we could conclude. I know we're, I think we're almost out of time on this particular segment. Um, and maybe you could tell us a little bit more about, um, custom seizures. Um, of counterfeit goods in the EU. Anything new to report in that area? Uh-huh, yes. Uh, yeah, we talked about that before our uh, before the episode, right? Um, yeah, that's something yeah. I've I've worked on in the past years uh, more and more uh, custom seizures in the EU, and um, that becomes of course more and more relevant since uh, all the counterfeit goods uh, are still produced in China or most of them and. Uh, The marketplaces are just, uh, you know, spreading a lot more. Um, like a couple of, couple of years ago, it was just Alibaba and Taobao and a couple of marketplaces. And now it's hundreds of marketplaces that are basically flooding the world with counterfeit goods. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really interesting how to, um, like, there is no, I think there is no real, the right strategy how to fight uh, against counterfeit goods. Uh, some are saying the best, of course, is to go to the source, but then it's also difficult to go to the source and find the source, especially in China. And then there are um, agencies and you don't know whether you can trust these agencies. <laughs> and uh, sure. then, of course, there are larger um Law firms that have really good investigators, but that's also really expensive. Um, then, of course, you can um, file a request for custom seizures with the EU, and uh, you can inform the customs officers um, like how they can uh, distinguish counterfeit goods from the original goods. And uh, then there are measures like going to trade fairs and... Um, basically going there with customs officers and then seizing the goods there. 
Um, but there and there is one really interesting new tool um, that uh, has been um, uh, basically provided for free by the EU IPO, the EU Intellectual Property Office. That's the um, that's basically a database where you can um, enter all your um, all your rights, all your intellectual property rights. And then it has an interface with uh, the customs uh, authorities, but also the police authorities in many of the European countries. And um, you can alert these authorities through the system um, to seize goods or to look at certain things. Or um, So that, that might be a very interesting tool in the future. Um, yeah, now, Ralph, can you put a link to that resource in our show sure, notes? Sure, of course, yes. Yeah, that, excellent. Yeah, of course. Well, Ralph, I, I think we're we're almost out of time. I mean, this was a really great thing to start our 2017 off. I look forward to working with you in future episodes of IP Fridays uh, in the coming year. Yes, and I hope we'll have lots of interesting guests on the show. If any one of our listeners, so if you are listening now and you think you would be a nice guest, uh, just write us an email or leave us a message on our website. Or if you know someone who you want to hear on the show, let us know. Um, we are already um, scheduling new interviews, of course. Uh, a lot of them, uh, at least on my side, with, uh, with, the ta with the aim to learn more about the Unified Patent Court, which is a new system that uh, surprisingly uh, comes into place uh, quite soon because the UK decided to ratify the agreement, although they are brexiting the eu <laughs> um, so that was a big surprise for a lot of people um, and now we will have a new patent enforcement regime uh, uh, very shortly so um, i will try to have a couple of guests around that topic um, excellent yeah so um, yeah i will enjoy um, hosting this uh, podcast with you, of course. <laughs> and, Likewise. <laughs> and I hope we'll have lots of interesting guests and uh, I hope we'll grow our listenership um, as good as we did in the last year. I think in September we had more than 8,000 listeners, right? <laughs> so that was, That's right. that was really nice. Uh, We're doing really well in, in the stats. Right. So I think we are one of the most important intellectual property related podcasts right now, right? Um, Definitely. Right. Okay, Rolf. Well, that's been a great episode. We look forward to future episodes as we move forward uh, into 2017. And we thank our listeners for listening to IP Fridays. That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com slash love and tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com slash feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com slash iTunes and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com slash voicemail. 
You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only, and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved.